Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Sabbath School from Home podcast. We're really delighted to see that um, the number of downloads have actually been increasing over the last month or two uh, on a weekly basis. And that's that's exciting to us to get the feeling that maybe this is proving to be valuable in some way if you're listening. So it's wonderful to have you here with us. Um, we've got a, an interesting conversation happening tonight, and uh, we have said at the outset that it's not going to be too long. So we will see, won't we? Um, I, I can't help but observe, Lachlan, that um, uh, the downloads have been increasing as my attendance on the podcast has been decreasing. G'day, <laughs> Ken here. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you, Ken. Yes, I, I'm Lachlan, and no, Ken, I'm absolutely certain that there's no anti-correlation. Uh, yeah, well, I was I was trying to I was thinking a little bit on the verse about the day being as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day, and whether that had any application to our podcasts running late. But I can't see oh, okay. Um Hopefully, our podcast is uh, not so as uninteresting as to sound like it goes for a thousand years, and um, we should be able to keep it even shorter than a day uh, if we try. <laughs> so, um, my name's Cameron. Uh, uh, the non-standard intro has very thrown me. I'm Luke. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's excellent to have to have all four of us here. I think it's been a little while, and and it's really is great fun. And what what you as a listener to this podcast don't get to get to see, so to speak, is the fact that we've we've just wasted uh, almost half an hour of podcast recording time because it's good fun catching up and chatting. So that's also valuable. And I hope that you as a listener are also finding ways to stay plugged in and connected to communities of importance in your own lives. Um, We have an interesting task in this episode, which is to discuss the the theme or the topic of meekness in the crucible. And um, I don't know, Cam, was this where you were thinking your story might fit in? I can't help feeling there's a certain relevance here. I was late to this recording. This reflects poorly on me in almost every respect. Uh, partly because I've had a bit of an upset tummy. I've had a very long day and then a bit of an upset tummy. And after sitting on the toilet for a bit, I discovered there was no toilet paper, which is, I think we can agree, a crucible. That's a um, that's one perhaps our listeners can relate to. Uh, but it, <clears throat> this is not to cause any problems because I have three very helpful, uh, intelligent, able-bodied um, children in my house who were waiting to go to bed and were not far outside. So I, I called out to them in increasing volume over about five minutes. And it ended up with me banging on the walls and screaming at the top of my voice. And our listeners might like to try this, but I would challenge anyone to scream at the top of their voice for three minutes without becoming angry. <laughs> um, there's something of, something about the physical process. It emerged afterwards. After, eventually I was rescued from this predicament and my son came to me except he didn't come to me he went out to the front porch and tried to talk to me from there because he thought that's where the voice was coming from which just made the whole experience more surreal um, and uh, difficult when eventually I was delivered it emerged that they had thought that um, they thought I was sending them to bed and that all rushed off to bed and now our listeners are going to think that I regularly send my kids to bed by banging on the walls and screaming. <laughs> I've never sent them. I've never sent them to bed by banging on the walls and screaming. It's a completely opaque to me. Well, I was Te- technically I was Cam, quite you upset. have done it once, just inadvertently. Well, I have done it once unintentionally. 
but you did it nonetheless. <laughs> anyway, I was cross, and they could tell I was cross, and they felt a bit silly, and uh, I said some silly things probably. Uh, it resulted in children in tears and me having to make some fairly lengthy uh, apologies uh, to them and asking their forgiveness, which are, they're very gracious children. So um, uh, that is the context from which I come to discuss meekness in the crucible. I see. I see. Um, <clears throat> well, who, who says that the Sabbath school lesson doesn't, doesn't cover some fairly practical, important and timely topics? Exactly. Yeah, yeah look, now we were, we were, we're going to turn, I think, to Ezekiel, but not even Ezekiel was locked in a room by himself without toilet paper, screaming at the top of his voice. I'd, I don't he know was, how he would have responded. He he did go through some pretty rough experiences. Ezekiel's the prophet that I I remember as the one who who had all God constantly was. T- it wasn't like he got to get a you know preach a message, um, and then call down fire from heaven and then run like the wind. And, well, he didn't get to do any of that stuff. God told him to like go and live in a hovel and marry a prostitute and cook food with dung and he, God, God was always telling him to do weird things that's what I remember of Ezekiel well and that's a great spot to start on Ezekiel 24 and I verse think that we should start there yeah chapter 24 and verse 15 and and I my comment before we started recording tonight was that it's been quite some time since I opened to Ezekiel so um that may may be a more general experience yeah Luke your your overall breakdown of the general recollection of the atmosphere it's it's that and it's the 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 wheels within wheels i think is in ezekiel um it is so and the dry uh, bones and, and the dry, the dry bones, bones. So yeah okay yeah, yeah. so this particular passage in, yeah. Ez- in ezekiel is not one that springs to the tip of my tongue and to the front of my memory so so i think that we need to read it this is chapter 24 and let's just read the second half so this is starting in verse 15 and we'll go to the end i'll start The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, with one blow I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly, do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your moustache or beard or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening my wife died. Was she ill at this point? Like is this completely, did, did God just smite her down from perfect health? Or it's it's unclear. Okay, quite possibly. Yeah, I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, "Won't you tell us what these things have to do with us?" So I said to them, "The word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says: I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection." The sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword, and you will do as I have done. You will not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. You will keep your turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be a sign to you. You will do just as he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well, 
On that day, a fugitive will come to tell you the news. At that time, your mouth will be opened, you will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. Right. There's uh, something I want to note immediately because it was in verse 19, Ken, and it wasn't in your version. But in, in the NIV, in verse 19, it says, Then the people asked me, Won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? Why are you acting like this? And you just get the sense it's not the first time the people have said that to Ezekiel. <laughs> mm. Mm. <clears throat> well, that, what's interesting about that is that, in fact, the version I'm reading from is the NIV, and it doesn't include that text uh, that, that, that you said, but it's the NIV from 1985. Mm. Um, oh, so, hang on. Uh, Does that mean we're reading Luke from the newer international version? It must be. <laughs> the newest international uh, version? <laughs> Yeah, does that mean Ken's should be renamed to the old international version? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, there are two things I want, to, I want to just observe. One is takes me back to my childhood, and, and it's the, fra- the instruction in verse 17, groan quietly. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, and it, it reminds me of the, the Jungle Doctor stories. And this is perhaps a little too light-hearted, given the seriousness of the situation that Ezekiel faced. But the jungle doctor, the jungle doctor stories, of course, had um, uh, Toto the monkey and um, Boohoo the hippopotamus were the main characters, um, and Boohoo was pretty accurate to his name, uh, and he was a bit of a somber um, uh, creature, and he was whinging and complaining, and and Toto the monkey said. Uh, uh, why do you have to keep going? Why can't you just suffer in silence? And Boohoo mm, responded... I remember this, Ken. I don't mind I re- suffering in silence so long as everybody knows I'm suffering in <laughs> silence. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. That's that, is, that is one of, the, line. one of the lines for all time, I think, that one. Um, what, what I'm going to now take exception with this passage on lots of grounds. Why does God have to kill Ezekiel's wife is the first one. But secondly, why do the lesson writers have to appeal to this as an example of meekness um, and as an example to us? This seems to me such an oddly specific circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it's certainly a crucible. That, that's accepted. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a yeah. difficult time. But it, it's not so much an example of meekness uh, as it is an example of uh, be- being obedience. unable to change... The circumstances that are imposed. Well, it's 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 an interesting. One. I certainly hope that they're not reading this as that that groan quietly phrase that you mentioned, Ken, as as some sort of instructional or aspirational thing. Mm. The groaning quietly here is the wrong thing to do. They're supposed to mourn, mm, mm. not what the, the actual phrase that God that, that the passage uses is. Um, you will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. That's not culturally or spiritually healthy, what's being mm. described there. And what God instructed Ezekiel to do was not what, you know, it, it's, it's implied fairly clearly here that Ezekiel loves his wife and he's sad that she's died. God has instructed him to not respond to that sadness in a healthy way yeah so so as to be so as of to a lesson or a demo yeah 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 to israel yeah 
This isn't. It, it's, it's not. not he's not doing the right. lesson for yeah. them. It, it's not. Yeah. A, it's not even that this is. Yeah. If you do this, then this this result will happen. So it's not an object lesson in that sense. Uh, indeed, yeah. it's it's a really indirect um, message indirect. that's being sent. It is essentially so, and 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 it comes out in the very last verse. So you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. In essence, um, this really bad thing's going to happen to you. You need to respond um, uh, differently to how is to, to what is expected, and what that means is. This really bad thing is also going to happen to Israel. They're going to have to respond differently to how expected. And because you've already told them that that's going to happen based on your experience, then they'll know that I'm God. Um, it's a oh, it's a really obtuse way of communicating. It, so I it, don't, it is. What's uh, the I'm, context in which the lesson does does use this? How does the lesson appeal uh, to See, this? now you're calling me out and I'm going to have to make some confessions of my own. Well, um, <laughs> before, well we know you haven't read it, Locks, so let's just skip that. Um, I just want to... Cam, I didn't miss your question. Why does Ezekiel's wife have to die for this message to be conveyed? It's, it's, it's very... It, it, there's echoes here of what we talked about last week, just Cam and I, with the whole... Well, it wasn't even in the passages that we read, but the whole thing about um, in in Elisha's time, you know, these horrible things happen, and it's made very clear that it's the will of God, and children are being killed and eaten, and all sorts of nasty stuff. And apparently, it all had to happen. And and it's the same thing that we get told in relation to the death of Christ, um, that Jesus had to die on the cross uh, to save us from our sins. And my question has always been, why? Why was that the mechanism by which we had to be saved from our sins? Uh, might there not be some other less gruesome uh, means of doing that? Yes, yes, there is. God could have just altered the chemistry in our brains and made us different people. Mm. So um, uh, I think... But I think, Ken, it's a pertinent example because I think Christ on the cross does demonstrate meekness in the crucible mm. for the re for the same reason that I think this passage in Ezekiel doesn't. Um, I have found it in the lesson too, and I might come back and talk about the context. It's used in a very general sense in the lesson. It's just talking about how bad stuff happens and um, uh, who knows how many people will see the Sovereign Lord through us in our own broken places as mm. well. So I think it's saying that we are, we don't just witness to other people when good stuff yeah. happens. We witness when bad stuff happens as well, which is a sentiment that I I agree with, that um, we need more testimonies. Uh, our testimonies are not a representative sample of what <laughs> happens in a church life. We, we, we preserve only the triumphant stories for testimony. So that sentiment I agree with. In terms of talking about meekness, the reason why Christ on the cross is a great example of meekness is precisely because of the thousands of angels that Christ could call on if he wanted. Don't you know? Don't you know? I, you know, when the disciples chop off the ear, that I could call all the angels down from heaven, they could come. But I'm choosing not to. In this story, Ezekiel doesn't have that option. Mm. So it's a meekness by necessity, which I don't think is necessarily virtuous. Yeah. So there's there's something there that I want to actually draw attention to. We've already commented. That uh, verse seventeen, that groan silently and let there be no wailing at her grave. Uh, basically, don't do the normal mourning things. That cannot be interpreted as instructional. 
it can't be something where the, the 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 application of this of this passage to our lives is we should not mourn great loss i don't think that's what it's what it's ever trying to say likewise i don't think that it would be appropriate for us to say ah jesus calls on us to be meek this is what it means to be meek to suffer in silence right to i don't think that's what i don't think that's what's going on here either at all mm. um mm. and and just in case any listeners are worried that we go off a little bit too harebrained without even reading anything more than the title of the lesson i i, I have actually browsed through it and it is true what you're saying cam is um i think what the lesson is trying to do it's trying to talk about the opportunities to witness um you know so just quoting from it uh, it's it's little summary um, what's the relationship between suffering and meekness? How can we, in our own meekness and broken places, be a witness to others? Now, the trouble with that is that it is conflating meekness as a response with the crucible as an experience. Uh, do you hear that? How can we, in our own meekness and broken places... Those two things I don't think even go properly together I, yeah, in that, it, it in that may, structure. May, the fact that Ezekiel 24 is referenced in that context of that thing makes me think like they are reading the verse to say that this verse indicates to us an instruction on how we should respond to suffering. Hmm. And I don't understand. I don't understand how you can read the verse that way because it very clearly doesn't. It's very clear that this is not instructional. Yeah. God is not saying you should respond to the destruction of the sanctuary this way. He's right. saying you will because you're bad yeah. people. And he, yeah, he's implying this is it's, why the sanctuary will be destroyed, right? This is These bad yeah. things are coming because you the have The sanctuary is going to be destroyed and you're not even going to mourn for it yeah. properly because you are, you're you are, sinful. Yeah, you are off the path so far that you are already the kind... You are looking in shock at Ezekiel not doing all of the normal cultural things. You come and you say, what does it all mean? What it means is this. You are already that kind of heartless people yourselves. You just haven't woken up to it yet. And there's a thing coming that's going to make you realize that you are in well, fact just if you're being... lucky, it's going to make no, you No, no, no. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's saying that you're, you are already this kind of heartless oh, okay. people. I think, I think what it's actually saying is um, what happens will be so bad that you will not even be able to do hmm. the normal things that you would do when you're mourning. Uh, so that this destruction is going to be so uh, swift and complete and your reaction, uh, your response to it is is such that you will not be left with any resources to do what you would usually do. You'll be, you'll be on the run um, mm. or, or something of that sort. If you read verse 22 and you will... Uh, verse 21... Um, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword and you will do as I have done. You will not cover the lower part of your face. The, the, the sense that I get is um, there's, there's this destruction by the sword that's coming and you're going to be running for your mm. lives. You're not going to be staying around and mourning. Okay. Maybe I, maybe I jumped a little too quickly. No, no, I, I, that's, I think that's another way of looking at it. It's not explicit, but I just wanted I think, to express yes, that other sense. I think that that's a very valid way to read it, Ken. Um, and it, it it could well be a, a little bit of all of that. I mean, I keep I keep yeah. gravitating well, around the word sin in verse twenty three, but I could be overemphasizing that myself. Mm. Um, what were you going to say, Cam? You know, uh, well, 
in either case, both of those interpretations support the view that what's being recommended here is not a recipe for appropriate response to crucible. Mm. Um, so that point stands. Um, I am going to raise my discontent much further beyond uh, the application of this chapter. Does God, in fact, recommend to us meekness as a response to the crucible? Um, it would be hard to reconcile that message with the entire book of Judges, with um, with David facing Goliath, uh, with uh, you know any number of the biblical heroes. You know, now, uh, the three worthies in the fiery furnace might be a good fit. Um, but the character of David's a fascinating one, to come back to that one. Um, I think a good story for meekness in the crucible is when David cuts the corner of Saul's robe mm. off instead of running him through. Uh, when Saul is, now that I think about it, going to the toilet in a cave, probably in want of toilet paper. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, no. That's changed my sympathies that's, altogether that's in that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, David there has all the opportunity to exact his mm. revenge. And the reason the exercise of meekness there is a virtue is because there is a genuine yeah. alternative. But, and, and that happens well, several times. You say that's in the crucible, Cam, and in the wider context, that is true. David was a fugitive. He was being hunted, all the rest of it. But in the moment that he exercised meekness, he's actually in possession of tremendous power. Mm. He has his enemy within his control, and he can, at that time... End the threat to his own life and take control. Well, my control contention of the is, I get, my contention is that meekness can only be exercised as a virtue at moments where you have considerable power. Well, I yes, uh, that's that, exactly the direction I'm, I'm I'm heading. I fully agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, David, of course, though, is not universally meek in response to all the crucibles he faces. Mm. Um, you know, when the lion attacks, I grabbed it by the beard and hit it. You know, that's not the voice of someone who's responds with meekness. Mm. And even this sentiment of respecting Saul as God's anointed plays out in ways that is less than meek. After Saul and Jonathan are dead and someone turns up to David thinking that David's going to be pretty thrilled to hear that Saul's dead because now he can become king. And so he... he invents a bit of a story where I was I was the one who who killed him. He was there and we were surrounded by the enemy and and it's all fabrication. But you know, um David doesn't know that. And the man's making up a good story. He says, Saul said, Kill me. I don't want to be killed by these savage Philistines, so I killed him. And David picks up a spear and runs the guy through. Um he says, What you you dared to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? And cuts him down on the spot. And he dies. The messenger dies. That's that's at once an exercise of meekness in the sense of David respecting Saul to the end as God's appointed. But it's not a meek no. act. It's a, it's a very vicious... I'd, I'd love to hear someone so, try and spin that as meekness. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, it's only meekness in the sense that David is not anxious to become king. He's not, he's not going to... He's not going to in any sense, up to the very end, even in a forlorn last hope, last dying stand battle, David is barracking for the king. Yeah, I, look, I think that I see a, a similar theme um, to what we were talking about a couple of weeks back, Locke. Um, the idea that 
you know, if faith is only faith in the absence of evidence. If there's evidence, mm. then it's not faith. I, I mm. think I don't I agree th- with that at all. But anyway. oh well, <laughs> you should have been here, Ken. We we really needed your. Input. I should have. Um, I should have. It, 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 faith mm. is confidence. Ooh. Confidence is not opposed to evidence, and it's not opposed to knowledge. No, I don't no. think faith is confidence either. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you, Ken. Um, Go for it. We'll have this one out. But maybe, perhaps not tonight. Yeah, we need to do that next <laughs> week. Um, we're already, yeah. But I, I think... Well, I was just referencing that um, because I think there's also maybe a, a similar idea in the idea that meekness is is only really... is Well, I, I hesitate to say it's only possible because uh, I don't want to be caught out making absolute statements. But meekness is largely only possible when you are in possession of power Mm. and you choose not to exercise it. If you have no power, you you can't choose to be meek. You are forced to be meek. And there's, as you said, Cam, there's no virtue in doing something that you have no choice over. Um, There's a detail in verse 27 that we need to look at because it's right at the end. And I fear we may have brushed past it. I'm glad you mentioned that, Log. Well, since you've brought it up, here's the question I want to put to you. These verses at the end, uh, 25 to 27, mm. are these saying that Ezekiel is not going to speak until the sanctuary is destroyed? Well, Because that's what it looks like to me. That's what I'm wanting to explore, just, moment, just for a moment. Um, I'm wondering whether it... Because the, the, it was the verse 27, and I'm reading it, and it says... And, and when he, that's this messenger who is arriving with the news of the um, <clears throat> the calamity, it's a survivor from Jerusalem. So calamitous events have happened. And when this messenger arrives, verse 27, your voice will suddenly return so you can talk to him and you will be a symbol for these people. They will know that I am the Lord. And I was trying to work out, <clears throat> voice suddenly return there's no record here of a voice being lost, except there is, isn't there? Because in verse 16, up at the start, this bad thing's about to happen to you, Ezekiel, but don't weep. Let there be no tears. Groan silently. There is an implication of silence, meaning not that he is not speaking at all, but that he is not participating, not grieving, not participating in sorrow. And maybe, this is what I'm wondering, in verse 27, the your voice will suddenly return is that meaning you will then be free to express grief again and in doing so you will then continue to be a symbol for these people i think i i couldn't work out what it meant when we read it through lock and i like your interpretation um it suggests maybe that at this time ezekiel will be free to grieve not only for the temple and the other israelites but also for his wife it also puts into a slightly different context, and again, it's editor editorializing the narrative a bit, and it's highly speculative. But um, we were lamenting the fact that Israel, uh, that Ezekiel's wife died. A lot of people are about to die in this story. I mean, it's the whole city. They're about to die under circumstances of of awful war. To pass away after an illness might not be, you know in relative peace and loved people around you might not be so bad in comparison. What's uh, one more death God... when there are thousands to come? 
No, that's not what I meant. What I meant is I'd rather die in my bed than be disemboweled and dashed against the rocks by an invading mm. horde. Mm. So, um... <laughs> I don't really want to go here, Cam, but if you are disemboweled, it at least solves your toilet paper problem. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say one of the one of the things that I particularly <laughs> like about this passage <coughs> is this. I'm glad, Ken, because there's not a lot at all. If you can give me one thing, I'll be really I, pleased. I will. Ezekiel's yeah. wife is the delight of his eyes. He loves her. Mm. Um, that is a wonderful thing. Um, that that that. Love within a committed relationship uh, is a, is a wonderful thing, um, and there are many many uh, who never experience that. Uh, and I think uh, one day one or other of us will die, um, and that will be the saddest event uh, of my life. But. Um, yeah. uh, it will have been worth the pain of that for the joy of the love. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, Locke, if we are going to hold ourselves to our commitment to a shorter episode, we have to bring this to a fairly speedy uh, conclusion. Yeah, we do. Um, I, I... Maybe we can conclude <clears throat> it by having the discussion about faith and evidence and knowledge. Or... <laughs> that sounds like a really short one, Ken. <laughs> My... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that won't take long at all. Okay, Ken. I'm sorry to have raised it, please. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we need to all state our points of view. Uh, Luke thinks faith is something exercised in the absence of evidence, and Ken thinks it is confidence. I think it is a decision to act as if something is true. Mm. Uh, And that decision is sometimes made where it is not possible on strict logical terms to ascertain whether it's true or not. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with it either. Oh, there we go. We both agree then, Luke. <laughs> Even though we started... We, we You've solved it. Now your chance. Now your yeah, it was a short discussion after all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Yeah. Locke, Lovely to have you with Locke's, us. We'll see you Locke's next probably time. probably not happy with it, though. <laughs> no, my, my, my stress was that I wasn't sure I could... You, you'd done, you've done a very good job, Cam, of succinctly summarising the, the various different sort of perspectives that we were bringing and i was sitting there struggling to think well i was left off that list what's my succinct summary of where i stand and i'm not quite sure where i do so i guess what i'll have what i'm going to have to do is go away and and listen again (laughs) listen again to this to this episode and see if i can if i can come to to some conclusion no i mean one of the things that that is just occurring to me and and ken i thought what you what you the, the positive um sentiment that that you drew our attention to there did highlight something the the ubiquity of experience crucible like experiences um in, in some ways it, the the crucibles sort of are connected to the to the pleasures and the joys in life um there's there's a there's a connection there because the pleasures and the joys in life in this life aren't aren't permanent in a kind of everlasting sense they they are somewhat transitive and when it's when their time is finished then then it is inescapably a a crucible like experience and that's that's hard 
So, so I guess it's on my mind precisely because this whole thing with Ezekiel in chapter 24 that we've been reading just is not a universal experience as, as written. It's a fairly specific, fairly unusual. I totally see why the people came and asked Ezekiel, what does this all mean? You know, we've, we've thrown out two or three different interpretations amongst ourselves um, just in this episode, and I'm sure there's a lot more uh, things we could ponder about here. Um, so this is not a particularly general experience being described, and yet it is an interesting perspective to read because the, the experience of suffering and of, of crucibles, of hardships, um, that, that is pretty much inescapable i suspect um and i and i suppose the other thought that's on my mind is it's it's easy to be flippant it's easy to be flippant about the sorts of tribulations that come with the lack of toilet paper um hmm. the the point simply being they they are they are real um and you know as as you said cam you can't you can't shout in a room for a few minutes and bang on the walls without it actually mm-hmm. affecting you. And I, and I wonder what that meant here for Ezekiel. He's he's asked to do the opposite. He's asked in a situation where the shouting and the banging would seem almost appropriate, he's, he's asked to remain quiet and not do any shouting and banging. And just what what does that process do to sort of alter uh, the, the state of mind and the journey that your thoughts wander down? Well, I, I just want to make this point again because I think it's a real a real mistake of uh, what's the name of the way that we read the Bible? Um, what's the term for it? Hermeneutics. hermeneutics. It's a, a real mistake of hermeneutics to take literally any story in the Bible and read it as an instruction to us. Mm. <clears throat> what Ezekiel did in this story and why it mattered to the Israelites and why it's significant is because he was a prophet. If you're not a prophet, it doesn't apply. And even if you are a prophet, maybe you're a different prophet. Mm. It's not like God was doing this with every single prophet. If Ezekiel's the only one who really had this sort of experience, there might be one other one or so in there. I mean, Michael lived in poverty and... You know, a lot of the prophets had to, you know, they, were, they opposed authority. You know, they didn't have particularly safe lives. But e- that, that's what I mean. Even in the context of just the group of Old Testament prophets, this, this example is not particularly instructive for anybody. It's very specific mm. to Ezekiel, mm. you know. It, yeah, it's descriptive, not, not instructive. No. It's not proscriptive. Exactly. It, this is a story about something that happened that was very significant. It, it doesn't have to be read as a lesson for this is what we should do. <laughs> there are there are instructions on what we should do, though, but not in this story. So, I mean, the question is, generally, do we agree that meekness is an appropriate response to suffering? Um, even if it's not from this story, if we look at, at the broader brushstroke of scripture, we haven't. I haven't settled that question in my own mind. Uh, I think a better prophet, in terms of if you were wanting to find something with a directly applicable lesson, would be Jonah. Um, the irony being that he enjoyed tremendous success. Yeah, and was downright furious. And, and wasn't all that meek and, about it the whole process? 
wasn't meek at all. I knew, I knew you were a gracious God. And he said this after his runaway, after his God's delivered him from a storm with a whale. Yeah, well, um, he knew you know, God was a gracious God because God didn't kill him and find someone else. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, my mind, I found yeah. my mind wandering over to Jonah as well. But because that's not only a different prophet, but a different book of the Bible, I think that we can legitimately say we can't discuss that in this episode. And I think we should bring this one to a close. No. Um, we need to, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> Otherwise, we're getting very close to a normal length episode. I, I just, I, I would like to finish with this, and there's some risk in finishing it in this way, given the background um, and given the means through which this knowledge was obtained. But I do think it's encouraging that the story ends with people knowing the Lord, mm. um, that they have knowledge of the Lord. Uh, and um, that is something to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah, There's. I was actually looking because I almost remembered the word hope being there, but it's it's not as I'm looking for it. But there's a sense of hope. The story actually ends on a hopeful note. Um, and, and so does this podcast now. It ends on that hopeful note. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you do have comments, if you think that we've... Um, that we've missed something quite interesting here in Ezekiel 24, please feel very free to email us at uh, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, you might know someone else who could also enjoy it. So feel also very free to share it uh, with people who uh, you think might benefit from it. And we look forward to joining us next week.